the hard shoulder on Newstalk with Nissan subscribe and drive no deposit no compromise no fuss find out more at nissan.ie on a Thursday when Tom Dunn joins us to talk about the week in music. So first up, take a listen to this. Yes, that was of course the great Tay-Tay, Taylor Swift. We're talking about her, Tom, because the master recordings for her music were sold again. What's happened? It's great. It's quite a story. It really is. Yeah, the master recordings of her first six albums have been sold um, without her even being told for the second time. They were first sold by her record company, Big Music Machine, to a guy called Scooter Braun. And uh, his company have now sold them to a company called Shamrock Holdings, who are a private equity firm. And she's up in arms because she was trying to buy them from Scooter Braun. And uh, apparently he was asking her to sign a non-disclosure agreement saying she would never speak about him unless she said nice things um, before he would even show her what the terms would be. So she said she couldn't accept that. And while she was railing, uh, he just quietly sold it to a different company. So she's up in arms and she's lost control of those first six albums. And it's a, a big industry problem. Load, you know, companies owning your masters is a big deal. They can now place them wherever they want to in any kind of ad or film without consulting with her. So, you know, it's a big deal. But the story behind it is almost, it's almost like a mafia story, Karen. It really is incredible. It goes back to when she was about 15. She was a real prodigy. There was, there was you know, uh, loads of interest around her. But a guy called Scott uh, Berchetta saw her first. And he actually set up a record company to sign her called Big Music Machine. And her dad actually bought shares in the record company because I think everyone knew Taylor was going to be massive. So she was with Big Music Machine for, for six albums. And at the end of the six albums, she was trying to do a new deal. And, and these six had been massive. So she wanted those the rights to those masters back. And he said, I'll give you one of them at a time. You give me one album, I give you one of your old albums back. So basically you give me six new albums, I'll give you the six albums back. And while she was saying, you know, go away, she signed to Universal Records. And then he quietly sold them for 300 million to this guy, Scooter Braun. Scooter Braun is a piece of work. I don't think he ever wanted to sell it to, to her, to tell the truth. And he eventually sold it to a company called Shamrock um, Holdings. Now, here's the great one on this. Okay. Guess who owns Shamrock Holdings? Uh, well, I don't know. Darby O'Gill. Walt, <laughs> Walt Disney's son. No way. You weren't that far off, were you? No. Ah, Walt <laughs> Disney's son owns it. Oh. Yes. I just find that the the fight over back catalogs. There was a very famous one in, in the past for publishing when uh, Michael Jackson acquired the Beatles publishing. You know these things. It's it all goes back to that position of power when you're young and starting off. You're not in a position to really negotiate with record companies, and you tend to sign whatever is put in front of you because that's what gets you off the the launch pad and into the business. It is an absolute. Uh, do you know that when something happens, we're offered a contract, and we we read through it. Um, it said in the contract that um, if life was ever found on other planets, that we were signed to Virgin Records for those planets as well. It did not. It did not. It did. It did. Oh, <laughs> it that, did. Is, that, is, it did. that is the greatest contract term I've <laughs> yes. ever heard. Uh, oh, look, on that note, uh, let's talk about uh, your album of the week. Take a listen.
Yes, ACDC there. Of course, we talked about them last week, Tom, but yes. that was only because they had released a single off the album that was due to be released the following day, uh, last Friday. Yes. It was released. Talk us uh, through that album. What is it like? Yeah. Last week, it was the news of the week that they were back. And this week, I've, I've spent time with it. And it's a joy. It just it rocks from beginning to end. The songs are great. The riffs are great. The vocals are great. Um, very obviously a band who are just really, really happy to be back. And I think that is the, the thing that really leaps out of the grooves of this record. In 2014, they thought it was all over and something that had been their lives was now gone from it. So now they're back. They all went through kind of dark nights of the soul around that time as well. They're now back after that. And I think there's a joy. I think there's an appreciation in them of each other. And they're appreciating the music. They're appreciating what they make together and what that means to them. Like that joy is just something that I'm sure it's always been in their music, but it's never been as evident in their music. So for ACDC fans, this is easily one of their best albums. Certainly up there, Back to Black for me. And it's just a real triumph. And I think as the year goes on and, and hopefully when COVID kind of comes to an end, everybody's going to experience a little bit of that on some level as you go back to seeing people and having gigs. Mm. But if you want to get a taste of what it's going to sound like, the ACDC album is... A, as good as we could possibly have hoped. All right, power up by uh, ACDC. Get the firm thumbs up from Tom Dunn. You mentioned gigs there, uh, a few gigs of the week. Uh, let's take a listen to this. Yeah, Foo Fighters there, their new song, Shame Shame. You mentioned Foo Fighters last week, Tom, the various gigs, lots of different gigs uh, happening. This one was on last Saturday, is that right? How was it? Saw bits of it, it was brilliant. It was in the Roxy. Um, it was very straightforward. It went on for an hour, did loads of tracks off the new album, but loads of the hits as well. But it was just them in the Roxy. It's a 500-seater venue in LA uh, with nobody in it. Uh, and that was good, you know. They were, they were, he was funny between songs and everything. But I think as this new level of streaming is hitting, and Paul Weller has done one as well, and I watched that over the weekend, and it again was great. Uh, What's missing from them, though, is the audience. I know it's the elephant in the room, but the audience is vital. The audience is part of this feedback loop that that feeds the the band, and the band feeds the audience, and it, it forms a circle. So it's the next thing to get around, but there's an awful lot of effort going in to try and solve that. And amongst the things, Bandcamp, have launched Bandcamp Live, which is going to allow Bandcamp bands, and they're very good at their bands, let them keep 100% of their sales on Fridays, for instance, to, to stream live events, set ticket prices, notify their followers and all of that. But even more interesting is a company from China, Tencent Music, they are called. They're China's leading company. And they've gone into partnership with a company in LA called Wave. And Wave are famous for virtual concerts. Okay, And John Legend is probably one of their most famous. But also about a few weeks ago, a band called The Weeknd did a virtual concert on TikTok. And it got 2 million live viewers. That, that is truly incredible. So we feel that with China opening up to them and Wave, they've also gone for more money. And one of the people who put 30 million into them is a man called Scooter Braun. Ah, the Bell Scooter. I'm the Bell Scooter. You, you never hear about him. And suddenly he's <laughs> everywhere. So I think we're just on the cusp of real big a jump forward. Because as David Grohl said, we weren't into this live streaming thing when this all started. But now eight months in, there's nothing else we can do. So, you know, I think it's in a very interesting space and all the bands are lining up for it. And one of them, Metallica, also did a live streaming event, but theirs was very different. It was two hours long and they managed to make it somehow interactive. There was, there was feedback from people watching it 
and you could ask them questions and and they would talk to you and people were talking to Metallica about being backstage them four years ago and all this kind of stuff. So wow. I just think the live streaming thing is about to really go massive and and there's somehow going to get an audience involved. And I, just, I have it on a watch this space list because yeah. I think it's going to be big. That'd be great to see what the audience come up with. Spitting me, Dicky. Anyway, now what's your tip of the week, Tom? Uh, Taylor Swift, it's her all, all, all today, isn't it? She interviews Paul McCartney in the current issue of Rolling Stone and it is, the, it is the most wonderful interview. What's interesting about the two of them is they're both from a very rarefied atmosphere. They, they're super famous and they know very few other people as famous as each other. So for the two of them to sit down together, it's almost as normal as life can get for the two of them. But they tell stories about being together at parties and all you can do is imagine being at those parties. One of them has David Grohl at the party and Taylor Swift is playing one of his songs, Best of You Too, I'm on the piano. David Grohl doesn't recognise it. I like that. Um, at the same party, Woody Harrelson sits down at the piano to play Let It Be. Paul McCartney moves him over and says, let me play this. I know it. <laughs> Can <laughs> that, you imagine it? That is, that, it's a real put down as well, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> yes. You'd feel about one inch tall. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is uh, great. It sounds great. Uh, Taylor Swift interviewing uh, Paul McCartney in Rolling yeah. Stone. Uh, before I let you go, Tom, look, we've been talking about this today. Take a quick listen. right Tom it's that time of the year again the annual outrage over fairy tale oh. in New York what do you make of it all I'm outraged I'm outraged the BBC have, have edited they've put in a, a line from a previous version where McCall sings you're cheap and you're haggard instead of of the homophobic slur as they describe it mm. and they say they're doing it because their younger audience will be offended by some of the lyrics well I can I represent the older audience yes say, go for it, Tom. I'm offended by the lack of lyrics and it's like it's like war and peace with the war taken out. Come on, lads. It's the way it was written. Will you just get over it? So I'm not offended and I can't understand how anyone can be offended. And I'm sorry about that. That's just where I'm from. You're wrecking with a really good song, lads. Don't do it. Good man, Tom. Listen, look forward to chatting to you again next week. Thanks a million for all of that. <laughs>